Good morning and welcome to Zoom with Zarni. My name is Dustin Zarni. I'm the Democratic Elections Commissioner for Onondaga County. This is my interview show. And I, my guest today is Jared Berg of Vote Early New York, our biannual tradition of having him on during the early voting period. Uh, and we're, we have a great discussion, not only about uh, how early voting is going statewide, but about the recent absentee case uh, that was resolved uh, yesterday or Tuesday, I'm sorry, uh, and uh, just news on that, if you didn't watch Commissioner Nakar when we found out about it live, we found out that the third department of the state of New York unanimously threw out both lawsuits that the GOP brought regarding absentee ballots, trying to get uh, absentee ballots thrown out because the COVID excuse, uh, they wanted to get uh, in a, uh, that to end, which was thrown out, and also not having uh, absentee ballots counted and be part of the election night count. They wanted to have it wait till after, and uh, that was thrown out. And both of those were thrown out because of what's called latches. It's a uh, legal term that says that the lawsuits were brought too late, um, and uh, it would be too much chaos to... Uh, put them in place for this election. Uh, now, this lawsuit could be brought again uh, after uh, the election for next year's elections, and we'll have to see whether they uh, go through that again or not. But uh, right, for right now, we'll be counting the absentees the way we count the absentees for both primaries. Uh, today is the fifth day of early voting. It just got done. Uh, well, actually, in, on Thursday, when this airs, it'll be the sixth day of early voting. Over 16,000 people already have uh, participated, and we anticipate over 30,000 people, uh, you know, in, uh, participating in the early voting period. Uh, so I uh, hope you will be one of them. If you are thinking about being one of them, go to 10 to 6 on Thursday and Friday, and 9 to 5 on Saturday and Sunday. All right. Thank you very much. And enjoy my interview with Jared Berg of Vote Early New York. Bye-bye. And I'm back with my good friend Jared Berg of Vote Early New York, uh, an incredible uh, electoral advocate, as well as uh, the pre president and founder of Vote Early New York, a advocacy group that was made, uh, I believe, in 2018 or 2019 to uh, support early voting in New York. But, you know, Jared, thank you once again for coming on uh, Zoom and Zarni. Good to be with you, Dustin. So tell us, you know, I know you've been on quite a bit. I think you're my most frequent guest because we talk at least twice a year uh, around the early voting periods. But talk to people about Vote Early New York and remind uh, our, our audience what you do. Uh, so I am a New York attorney uh, and voting rights advocate. Uh, I worked for a few years in the state legislature before I was the voter protection director for the Democrats in New York uh, with an amazing organization called NYDLC, Democratic Lawyers Council. Uh, and I left NYDLC and founded Vote Early NY with a couple other voting rights advocates um, in early 2019, once it was clear uh, that there would be a majority and the votes to begin to finally start to modernize uh, New York's uh, antiquated election law and to build out some of the voter access options uh, and modernization that so many of us had talked about uh, for years. Um, and based on our experience doing voter protection, there's sort of two prongs to that work. The first is 
making sure that people know their rights, that there is uh, a, a clean, clear place uh, for the public to get voting information, to learn about some of these new reforms and their options, uh, and to support boards of elections as they uh, implement those options. The second is born out of our experience uh, where we know that you can pass a pretty darn good set of laws in Albany uh, to protect and expand voting, but then it still needs to trickle down and be implemented uh, by 58 local boards uh, that are often under-resourced and understaffed and might have their own sort of uh, views on, on the benefits of those laws. Uh, and we've been playing that watchdog role uh, since our founding uh, with a fair amount of success. And, you know, there's always setbacks too. Thrilled to be with you, Dustin. Well, and you're not just you're not just an advocate like on online and stuff. You actually put in the work. I don't know if I'm sure you know. We talked about it at the time, but I remind my my audience that you were actually instrumental in helping me in Onondaga County uh, advocate for and getting uh, our ten early voting sites that we have in the expansion from four, but not just. The number, but where they were, and you were you spent a lot of uh, personal time helping us out here in Onondaga County. And I really appreciate that. It's so important to us that in these first few years of these programs, uh, we have an opportunity to do it right, and that's that's interspersed in every part of this decision. Where are the sites? How are they funded? And what does voting look like in the world we want to create? So how is early voting going? We have an expansion of early voting, a, a pretty big expansion of early voting this year, uh, thanks to the Make Voting Easier Act uh, that was uh, passed by Giannaris and uh, Assemblyman Taylor, uh, you know, that resulted in the 10 sites here in Onondaga County, but like lots of sites all throughout the state. Um, we're seeing pretty big turnout, but you tell me from your, uh, from your perspective, how are things going with early voting? Uh, so with the giant grain of salt that we are only partially through the early voting period and there are three different ways to vote, uh, and, you know, those, those methods are, um, uh, despite recent efforts to sort of politicize the method of voting, which I've thought is a very strange thing, uh, these methods are open to everybody. So, uh, we can look at the turnout pattern with early voting now, uh, but that obviously doesn't ex include the absentee voters, uh, and it doesn't say much about how people are voting, although uh, someone in your position can look at the party affiliation and the turnout uh, and get a sense of who's participating uh, and who's not, uh, but there's still several days of early voting left. Um, so, uh, And there's election day, and people can still get their absentee ballots in. They can even still get them at the board, although we think early voting is a great option uh, if you can appear somewhere in person. Um, but uh, given the expansion you mentioned, New York is now at over 400 early voting sites statewide. Uh, and so what that means for a county uh, like yours or a county like Nassau or Suffolk, where these programs uh, had been uh, smaller uh, than we would have liked to see them, is that the expanded ratios means there's far more sites. Counties like Rockland, uh, counties like Suffolk and Nassau have virtually doubled their program. Uh, your county has a major expansion. Uh, and, and even less populous counties uh, have expanded their programs to meet the new requirements in the law, uh, which it should just, I, I shouldn't, we shouldn't have to point this out, but that makes voting, voting convenient, more convenient for more people, regardless of party affiliation, uh, particularly in, in rural counties or, or places where it's just a massive county. 
that that cuts down traffic uh, time, uh, commuter time uh, for people to get to these sites. Uh, it puts them closer to people's homes and it gives them more time to participate. So uh, this was never a partisan thing. There are states that have been voting early for decades, blue, red, and purple. Uh, and these programs um, are appreciated not just by voters, but by administrators in both parties, because we know that it improves the quality of the programs. Um, I like to say that if there's small problems that happen at the polls during the first few hours of the first day of early voting, which of course is natural, it's a giant logistical undertaking you folks do uh, each election, um, at sites that are not your own, right? Uh, poll sites are pop-up uh, operations typically outside of BOE property. So there's always going to be small things that happen. And when we when we can discover those and, and help get those corrected in the first few minutes or hours of the first day, uh, then those things can be solved and will run much smoother. Uh, and uh, the, the impact is just far less significant than it could be if we discover those things at 7 or 8 a.m. on a single election day when millions of people uh, have only that way to vote. Um, so early voting has been going well. I think a big component of what's missing is local funding from the state. Uh, I think that's part of the promise of expanded access is that the state is going to lean in uh, and, and play a bigger role in funding this so that we don't have disparities between rich and poor counties uh, and, and counties where uh, the board is just not as, as robust uh, as it might need to be uh, if we're trying to ensure that every voter can meaningfully access their ballot. Um, I should just say really quickly on the hours, uh, we're now up to a minimum of 72 hours of early voting. That means more weekend hours, more evening hours, uh, and more chances for busy people to participate in our democracy. Yeah, so that the hours is a, is a great, uh, you know, we talk about the expanded sites, but the eight hours on the weekends is uh, something else. It used to be five. And of course, some boards just want to do the minimum, uh, you know, or or half of the board wants to do the minimum anyways. And uh, and so now having this expanded minimum, you know, we're up to like 13,000. This is being taped Tuesday night and I'm up to 13,000 uh, early voters. I I'll probably by the time this airs be well over 16,000 early voters. And while that's only about 60 percent of what we had in 2020, what we also had in 2020 were two-hour lines, and we're just not seeing that across the state. You know, this was everywhere across the state, these hours of long lines. The expanded sites and the expanded hours is dispersing the public, at least in Onondaga County, um, and that's why we're not seeing the lines that we saw two years ago. Hey, I think that's uh, that's a sort of the unwritten part of this story is uh, the absence of chaos and long lines. Um, and it's hard, I think, for, for the public and the press uh, to really appreciate that. Every so often I get sort of outreach from... Uh, from press with some narrative about, well, well, is this access worth it? Um, and I, I often sort of say back to them, well, what is, what is the price of our democracy and your right to vote work? And I don't think we can really quantify it in terms of uh, minutes of early voting per hours per voter turnout uh, in you know different parts of the four-year cycle. That doesn't mean we can't continue to work to right-size this program uh, for different election events. I think that's a healthy part of the reform process, of course. Um, but we've always been trying to balance setting a minimum standard of what the right to vote means 
for a New Yorker, uh, uh, and at the same time, preserving local discretion for bipartisan administrators to craft a program that meets their local needs. And it's very difficult to legislate good faith. So the minimum hours needed to expand when it was clear that uh, the hours in the presidential year were, were insufficient to meet those needs when we saw uh, hours long lines, not just in New York City, but in the suburbs and other parts of the state that had never experienced that kind of uh, that kind of kind of thing. Um, so I think it's a mixed bag uh, because we have different election cycles, different election events, and there's still that challenge of figuring out how do we preserve some local discretion without uh, creating a program that really caters to like the lowest common denominator. There's a lot of people that still don't support what uh, these programs, why they exist. Yeah, I've always found it very disingenuous that like we have an uh, uh, early voting period during the uh, primary and it's always like uh, either from the press or from the press being spurred on by uh, county legislators that are, are talking about how, oh, it's a waste of money. I'm like, well, primaries are a waste of money if you're looking at it in terms of dollars per vote because nobody votes in primaries. But when the general comes along, then more people are voting and then they're kind of quiet about like, you know, how, uh, you know, how this is serving, you know, dollar per public. And I, and I do think that, uh, you know, we're also seeing like what we're seeing in other states is that early voting grows over time and each cycle is higher than the cycle before. And, and it's, it, it'll be unfair to compare midterm cycle to 2020 cycle. Well, we're gonna need like 12 years to really see how this grows. And, 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 and in the meantime, we can right size what we spend on early voting by adjusting the amount of people in an early voting site, inspectors is the main, main cost. Most of us aren't paying for sites. We're using town halls and other things. So, uh, the, the, you know, we can, we can still have the same number of sites with less personnel now that we know approximately how many people are going to come out. I think that's a great point, too. We've seen, and I'm, I, I have uh, turnout data for early voting for this election just for the first three days uh, so, and today is the fourth day. I, I haven't seen that data in full yet. Um, and I mentioned before, it's I hesitant to draw conclusions, uh, but we can look at this data and observe that uh, as of the three-day total, uh, almost 370,000 New Yorkers have voted early. Uh, just this election, that doesn't include absentee balloting. It doesn't include folks who will vote early for the next several days into this weekend. Of course, it doesn't include election day. Uh, but heading back uh, two years, uh, to the presidential, we saw two and a half million people uh, vote early. That's just a massive amount of interest. And so uh, there might be certain places and certain election events uh, where it seems like the turnout could be better, but uh, it, it would be absurd to tell all these folks, hey, you know, we think we, we, we deployed this program, but your right to vote, your access is just not worth maintaining these programs. Um, it, it's preposterous. Yeah, I and we I, I I do hope that unfortunately I, I I it got so partisan in New York with early voting where it wasn't in other states. I mean it started in Texas, not necessarily known as a liberal bastion and voting rights uh uh you know lore down there in Texas, but 
early voting somehow became uh, the cause that the Republicans in the New York State Senate, uh, when they were in, in charge of it, were, were going to die on. And then once the Democrats took over, we were able to pass it. And yet it's been fought every step of the way. But speaking of fighting, I think we need to move on uh, to another thing because we are taping this on Tuesday night. And just a couple hours ago, the decision came down from the third department uh, throwing out the lawsuit, two lawsuits uh, by GOP actors on uh, absentee balloting. I know you've been very involved in absentee balloting and as, a, as a way of early voting. And now that we're counting absentees before election day, that was part of one of the lawsuits and the COVID excuse. I'd like to get your reaction on uh, on this development out of the third department tonight. I think for those of us who have been fighting for protecting the right to vote and have watched uh, the national backslide um, on voting, that have watched the Supreme Court gut the VRA and take decisions that seem to, they call voting a fundamental right, but then they don't treat it as such. Uh, there's, there's, we can only say that today's decision was a sigh of relief, but in a lot of ways, it was the exactly right decision. Uh, the unfortunate part is the goal of this litigation was to sow chaos, to ice the process, to create a lot of confusion. Um, and, uh, and in that sense, I think even though the lawsuit which I believe was frivolous, um, uh, was unsuccessful. It did succeed in shaping a narrative in this state around the, the ways you can vote, what's legitimate, what's not, uh, who's voting absentee, and somehow that that method, uh, which I, I mentioned before is bizarre, somehow that that method is suspect as such, right, um, is sort of a ridiculous thing. I, I would never tell a candidate, hey, you should write off an entire voting method. Um, but we're now at a place where the, the methods of voting themselves seems to be politicized. And that hurts every eligible voter uh, who's sitting there trying to figure out how to exercise my ballot in a way that makes sense for me. And, and not just me, how can I make sure grandma is able to vote? What's the best, best option for grandma? And like, if that's an absentee ballot, so be it. If that's early voting or election day, fine. Uh, but by creating this chaos... Uh, in, in a lot of ways, the narrative over the past few weeks hasn't been what it should be. It should be about how we have postage paid return, how voting has never been more convenient or accessible in New York, full stop. How we've changed the rules so that you can no longer uh, have to worry about your ballot being thrown out for absurd reasons. Uh, you know, uh, an envelope that has some tape on it to make sure it's super sealed. Uh, that you have an opportunity to cure your ballot if there's uh, minor facial defects to, to envelopes or uh, a, a signature that's not perfectly on the right line, that sort of thing. Um, and so uh, I think it's actually iced the process. Um, but what this was, was an attempt uh, to, to block not only the way we count ballots, uh, but also the ability of uh, members of the public who have legitimate concerns about public health, about their risk of contracting an illness, uh, about their, their friends, those they take care of uh, from contracting an illness. It was an effort to, to root out our modern understanding of public health, about voter access, uh, and to really force voters to make that Hobson's choice, which is what uh, other courts have called this, between uh, protecting your, your right to life, the ultimate right to life, your health, right, and exercising your First Amendment fundamental right to vote. 
Yeah, and it's been so divisive on an election administrator uh, scale, this whole process. Um, you know, the fact that one party was willing to go judge shop and then, then that judge took two weeks to decide and then it was overturned. But in that time period, chaos was being sown at the boards of elections and uh a cynical part of me thinks that that was that was the purpose of the lawsuit because it didn't seem like it had any real legitimate, uh, you know, uh, grounds. And also, as the judges noted, and has been noted many times, is that we've had two primaries with these rules in place this year. By the way, Nick Langworthy, the GOP chair, was a participant in one of those primaries, and so was Lee Zeldin. Uh, who was a participant in the other primary, and neither one of them decided to challenge then, but they waited until the general election, and just for the fact that they could challenge Democratic ballots as opposed to other Republican ballots. So it's, you know, it, it's so frustrating. We We need a reform on how the judicial system interacts with the electoral system when it gets this late. Now, the third department properly applied latches on this and said, you know, it's too late to bring this suit, but it, it shouldn't have gotten that far. That should have happened at the, the Supreme Court, uh, case, you know, case. Uh, what, are you, are, what are your thoughts about like possible reforms that might make this better? So uh, you mentioned the forum shopping, and I think that's a big part of uh, of how this lawsuit uh, ended up uh, getting appealed and, and then overturned on appeal. Um, these folks went to a very friendly judge, a judge who uh, used to be a head of a local political party, I believe, um, in the in the county where the suit was the, was. the local political party bringing the lawsuit. She was right. a, an officer of that, yeah, and, and, and so. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that the, the suit was frivolous, and that's because um, this was already decided last year by courts elsewhere in the state. Um, and and the, the ultimate question was really, unless someone's going to dispute uh, whether COVID-19 or measles or, or, or smallpox or monkeypox or whatever were, 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 comes down the pike, uh, polio, uh, unless someone wants to dispute that that's an illness, uh, the Constitution is actually fairly clear um, and it's based on uh, on a person's inability to appear. Uh, and there are folks that never wanted to see voter access change. There are folks that um, cynically uh, want to call ballots that are counted after Election Day as suspect, but in this lawsuit actually argued for going back to that very system. Um, but uh, really, the Constitution on this question was never in doubt. Uh, it's that uh, when when there's a situation um, that gives a person that apprehension, uh, it renders them unavailable, unable to appear in person. Uh, and the Constitution, in that sense, uh, is fairly clear on this question. Um, and so the courts that have looked at the merits of this, that is what they talked about. Um, I, you asked about reform. I think we're in a dangerous place from a rule of law perspective. Uh, the bipartisan BOE structure, right, is premised on the idea that the two parties are in, are, are in this forever struggle, so they're 
they're policing each other, uh, but we can't devolve to a situation where the law says one thing and the folks that don't agree with that policy choice choose uh, not to apply it or to kick so much uh, sand in the gears uh, that they ultimately nullify what the law says and what it means. Uh, we're seeing that play out uh, at Vassar College right now. Uh, and we were seeing that with uh, some of your um, your colleagues' boards uh, that refused to, to count and uh, canvas these ballots uh, as the law required the Friday night before early voting started. Yeah, and not to put my partisan hat on, but I'm going to, is that, like, thank God we had Democratic commissioners in these boards standing up for it. But you're right, it should have never gotten that far. And I don't understand why... Uh, the other side felt like they had the authority to just not count ballots when the court was saying to count ballots. And it should have never gotten to the point where an attorney general uh, had to issue a letter basically saying, hey, uh, this is the law. You know it's the law. Do your duty. We should have done that already. And and uh, that is, uh, is you know, I, I think I called it the Trumpification of the New York State GOP. And that's What's happening, and it's not just there. We also had a situation where the state board of uh, the the state board was unable to meet because the Republican commissioners refused to show up at a previously scheduled um, meeting, and they're not on record about why they didn't show up. But it's rumored that at that meeting there was going to be, uh, you know, some kind of action regarding uh, you know uh, Lee Zeldin's campaign regarding, uh, you know, some of the various uh, campaign, uh, you know, violations that might that have been investigated. And we, we don't know why they didn't show up, but we know that was on the agenda and they didn't show up. So what, you know, it, it, it leaves a lot of questions about how we are going forward. And this is hard for me to say because I'm a defendant. Uh, I'm a defender of the system. And I do think the system is right. But I think there needs to be guardrails because there are people out there looking to exploit the system, and uh, without some legislative guardrails, we're gonna we're, we're gonna be in for these kinds of fights for the foreseeable future. Uh, look, to me, this is about gridlock and a vacuum of leadership. Uh, in the interest of voters at the state board. Um, people, uh, I think members of the public, the press, and even election, uh, elected officials, uh, they, they, they know that there's something called the State Board of Elections in New York. And in their mind, that means that there are these local boards and then atop that sits a state board uh, that is making sure that the laws are implemented properly, uh, that can resolve uh, questions of interpretation and that sort of thing effectively. Uh, but of course, that can hand down guidances in real time and, and make sure that the elections are properly administered. Um, and what we've seen time and time again is when these pivotal questions come up, and of course, there are always different interpretations, and there are local variations, uh, and some of that is inevitable. But what we see is a state board that at the times we need them the most to speak with one voice, they are silent, they are paralyzed to act, uh, or uh, they act unanimously in a way that might benefit their narrow joint interests without thinking about the interests of the greater public at large. I really think New York needs to, uh, to look at this situation and figure out uh, how to come up with a better pass forward, path forward. And part of that is um, bursting this illusion uh, that somehow 
um, this framework is benefiting the public uh, and the administrators. I mean, at the end of the day, when we get this close to an election, you folks need clear guidance. Uh, and we might not win every policy battle. Uh, we've certainly lost plenty. And I think the other side in the recent years feels like they might have finally started to lose some. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, we do need to come together in a bipartisan fashion with all the good stuff that most people think the phrase bipartisan election administration means and come together and do right by the constituents. That's what this is supposed to be about. Yeah. Uh, well, Jared, we're starting to get towards the end of how long I like to record these podcasts. I think people stop listening after a certain while, but uh, uh, but I could always talk to you for hours and do. Uh, you're, uh, you're a great resource. Uh, and I also, before I sign off, I want to say your your website, voteearlynewyork.org, is, uh, is it Vote NY? No, you got it. VoteEarlyNY. VoteEarlyNY.org. Uh, that is a great resource because it's one of the few places where in a very easy way you can find out where your early voting sites are in your county or across many counties. As we know, races span many counties, especially this year. Uh, it's very important. You can't just go to one board of elections website. You have to go to uh, a, an overarching resource. But I always like to end these uh, uh, podcasts with uh, what haven't we talked about? What's something that you want to get off your chest, a policy issue, anything else, anything to, that you want uh, people to start thinking about? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that wrong church suppression is still a policy that's in full force and effect for this election. And what that means is that for Election Day in particular, for early voting in New York City, and only New York City, voters really need to make sure uh, that they're going to their assigned site. We want voters to, we want their ballots to count. Uh, that means you you should check uh, your assigned site. Poll sites change from time to time. Uh, we've just gone through a redistricting cycle. Uh, so we wanna make sure that people have their ballots counted. And uh, the wrong church thing is one of those rules that we've been able to improve for next year. Uh, but that's just just one thing to put it out there. Make sure you get to the right poll site uh, and, and cast your ballot there if you're voting in person. Um, the deadlines for returning absentees are, of course, creeping up. The deadline uh, is it must be postmarked by Election Day, uh, or you can drop it off at any early voting site in your county, uh, any Election Day poll site or your board office. We want folks to know about that. Well, Jared, yes, I, I know. I remember how hard you worked on the wrong church uh, policy, and that was uh, a wonky little thing that people don't think about, but it's going to save thousands of ballots especially in 2024 uh, when, it, when when this comes really to a head again. But uh, uh, I, I want to thank you for that because uh, that was something that I always hated as an administrator is throwing out ballots for people who it may even be the same ballot, but they showed up in the wrong place and uh, maybe through no fault of their own. So I'll, I'll have to endure one more year of throwing out ballots like that. But uh, after that, I won't. So, and, you know, I, I, on this vein, I think it's worth saying, of course, we want everybody to vote. Make your plan to vote. Help make sure that grandma has a plan to vote, right? But then see something, say something. That is really one of those empowering things you can do. Yep. Uh, you can you can report uh, voting incidents, or if you're not sure, yep. uh, is, is something going on here uh, that might may or may not be right? 
Uh, you can report that to the attorney general. You can report it to 866R vote election protection uh, because together we can protect our rights and we sort of have to start doing that now. Uh, and I will say, contact your local board of elections because a lot of times uh, inspectors are glorified volunteers that, you know, they get paid, but they're working twice a year, maybe, sometimes just one day a year. And do they get trained? Yes. Should they always do everything the right way? Yes. Do people make mistakes? Yes, also. And 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 so check with your board of elections because they may be able to resolve that problem pretty quickly, maybe even quicker than uh you know some of these other resources. And if you're not getting help there, then go to those other resources. Well, Jared, thank you so much for coming back on Zoom and Zardi. Uh, I look forward to talking to you in the new year about uh election reform because it's always on topic there at the New York Senate and Assembly and uh and I look forward to seeing you again in Albany this year. Good to be with you, Dustin. Thanks for your work. And I wish you folks a smooth election. And that was my interview with Jared Berg of Vote Early New York. Uh, if you're looking for some of my content that I usually put out this week, uh, I'm running behind because I'm administering an election. The weekly wonk is still on schedule for Sunday. And I'll be doing the town of Pompeii. I probably won't get to the bonus walk that I was hoping to do this week about how Onondaga County uh, elections um, or how the registrations has changed over this year. That was something I was hoping to get to, but I'm just too busy at work. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get to that. I'm not sure there's that much uh, to add to that either, because it's been a very stagnant year in terms of uh, voter registrations for Onondaga County. It's about the same rate as it was at the beginning of the year. There was no great growth for Democrats or Republicans, although Republicans tended to, you know, have a lot of party switches and Democrats tended to get a lot of the new registrants. So it's status quo for Onondaga County. So I don't think I'm going to get to that. Uh, Zoom and Zarni will be going on a little bit of a hiatus uh, because while I'm administering an election, I uh, tend not to have these interview shows during the uh, election certification period that starts on November 8th and going to Thanksgiving. So I probably won't be having many guest interviews during the month of November. I will, however, while we're uh, doing the election, have two commissioners in cars, one on Tuesday, one on Thursday, to give updates for how the election is going and how the post-election period uh, is going as well. So uh, check that out. Uh, and so Zoom with Zarni will be coming back sometime in late Thanksgiving, early November, uh, and we'll start talking to some of our democracy advocates about things that they want to see changed in the, in the uh, New York uh, legislature in the upcoming session. So that uh, will, uh, I hope uh, you'll still tune in to Commissioner in the Car. And yes, my weekly walk will still continue during that time period as well. Thank you very much and enjoy. And please get out and vote. Bye-bye.